Hi, I'm Shalushi Baxi Ritchie. And I'm Kosha Baxi Karstens. We are sisters and best friends who grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were really loved. We had a lot of friends, but we never felt like we fully fit in. We started to realize that there's probably a lot of other people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast. Then during the 2020 election, we watched now Vice President Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence, and we got inspired. We want to hear, share, and amplify the voices of all Americans who have felt othered. We want to give everyone a platform to reclaim their power and their place by standing up and saying, I am speaking. We are so lucky to speak with Idette Giulianetti. She was so fun and sweet, wasn't she? Like, she just was, she's a gem. Amazing, amazing. Idette has such a great story. Being of Mexican background, Mexican descent, um, not a 100% first-generation kid, was born in Mexico, but came here very shortly after. She was very young. Yeah. She was born, yes. Came came to the States very shortly after she was born. Um, and is now in an even more, what would you say, bicultural relationship, is married to someone who comes from an Italian family. Yes, who is a friend of mine. This is how we know Idette is um, at her, she's married to David Giulianetti, who is a really good friend of mine that we met at um, a training for work when I was training and he was like one of the field trainers and we hit it off. And I learned about Idette back then. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like I know her. She was, um, they have two boys who you do hear about Marco and Diego. Marco is the older and Diego is the younger one. Um, they're just a lovely family which as you said very multicultural because she comes from mexico and david's family is italian and they're all straddling three cultures yeah right because they're raising these kids here and and you could probably speak a little more to this is in the bay area which is yeah you know an interesting definition of diversity well it's you know she spoke to that some and I was really amazed and thankful for how vulnerable she was speaking about some of the casual day-to-day -day racism she faces, you know, things like people just kind of assuming that she doesn't speak English well, or speaks with an accent, or, um, or that she's you know, not the boss, right, or, or that she, you know, doesn't, quote, unquote, belong here, that she's not here legally. Um, but but the Bay Area is a very unusual place is that progressive values are always at the forefront of what people aspire to be. So you can't come out and just say things like that. You have to somehow weave them in, make them, you know, as she said, low key. Um, you know, you can't just be like, well, are you here legally? You all, you know, you almost need to sort of weave it in in a different to be way. Like subversive. Yeah. Um, very subtle. Yeah. So it's, it's really fascinating. Um, and, you know, we talked about a similar experience that all three of us had with taking our children to parks. Mm -hmm. If you want to know though, listeners, you'll have to, to actually tune in and see what that is. Yes, um, definitely. 
don't pass this one up. Idet is lovely. She's insightful. Um, she's funny. She is, she was just so fun to talk to, you know, just trying to hold on to two cultures, I guess. Well, and her perspective about being, you know, what it's like to be a Mexican American after the last four years from 2016 on, where there was a lot of rhetoric about people going back to where they came from and building the wall um, and really laying blame for people who have, are just here to have a better life, you know, just like everyone else is here to have a better life. I think it's, I would love to talk to her about that, but her insight on that was really amazing. And I think, you know, we are fortunate to be able to speak with someone who has had that experience um, while other of our guests are experiencing the same thing right now. Absolutely. So you can see these common threads. We talk about in our podcast, what's happened to South Asians um, after 2001. And then we talk about what's happening now with Asian, East, more East Asian and Pacific Islander people. And then you get to hear Idette's perspective about what it's like to be Mexican five years ago. Absolutely. So enjoy this episode. Idette is speaking. My name is Idette and I am speaking. Welcome. Welcome. So glad that you could join us and so thankful that you agreed to come on this podcast and talk to us today. Thank you guys. This is this is fun. First time. Awesome. Ooh, first awesome, awesome. We are yeah. too. Okay. Yeah. Well, on this end of it for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so as you know, this podcast is really focused on the lives and stories of othered Americans. And this season we're talking to first generation kids, individuals, meaning that they're parents were the immigrants that came over and that they sort of grew up with one foot in their parents' home culture and one foot in the American culture and trying to straddle both. Um, and one of the more interesting things we've seen is that regardless of where you're from or where your parents are from, family dynamics are really quite similar. But really the, the difference, so much of the difference happens once you leave your front door once you go to a place where you don't look like the people who are around you. Um, and so I know that you um, grew up in the Bay Area, right? For readers or listeners who might not know, the Bay Area is known for being pretty diverse, and yet there are pockets that are not very diverse. So my whole family is from Mexico, uh, Mexico City. Um, my dad and my mom got divorced and I actually was born in Mexico, um, but we came here, I was six, my sister was three. So really just started school here and all that good stuff. So um, we went to a uh, private Catholic school in Mexico and um, you know, I mean, it was nice, but my mom's family was here and when she got divorced, she just decided to join everybody else. And my aunt still lives in Mexico. So we, we visit, I mean, when we could, we visit Mexico quite often. And um, yeah, we're, we're pretty close to that Mexican culture family. Did you go back very often? Did you go back every year or every other we year? We tried to. Yeah. I mean, there were times where we could go every year um, or my aunt would come and you know, we would go back and forth. Um, I mean, we got married in Mexico. So we got married in Puerto Vallarta. 
Um, so I was, um, it was nice because a lot of my family that was in Mexico, uh, was able to attend the wedding. So, and then, but you, you largely grew up here. So I grew up, visit. like uh, there, yeah, I mean, it, this, this is my home. So like, if somebody were to say like, go back where you came from, it's like, I can go back to Mexico, but <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So you grew up in the Bay area, uh-huh. which like I was saying is generally thought of to be very diverse, but there are pockets that are not diverse at all. Yeah. So we grew Let's up. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, what was it like growing up? Growing up in the early nineties, um, in San Mateo, um, and going to school where I ended up going to high school. That was like, um, very gang, a lot of gang violence. And like my first day of high school, I saw like a huge fight and it was just uh, very eye-opening in that sense. So like the, the primary schools that I went to were mostly white kids. I was one of a few Mexicans, maybe a few, like, I remember having like one kid who was like black all the way through fifth grade. Did you go to public school? I did go to public school, but the public schools that I went to were nice. You know, they were, they were in like the hills and, you know, they were nice. They were nice schools. Um, but the area that we lived in San Mateo was pretty ghetto. Like there was a lot of gang violence. Um, so it, you'd get on the bus and go to school and it's like, oh, fun and good stuff. And then you get off the bus and I'm like, oh shit. And I have to walk home. Like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me, let me get it together here. So what? Would you say you had to do like some code switching? I mean, I never really, I don't know. It was funny because everybody around me, like my cousins and stuff, they were like hanging out with the wrong people. So my mom was very strict. So she didn't let me, she didn't let us, I mean, she didn't let me do anything really. So um, it was like, go home, walk home. But I was always like, I don't know. I was just friends with people. So I'm like, Hey, um, you know, like the Samoan family next to us, like, Hey, how's it going? You know? I'll help you with your homework if you uh, walk me home. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, looking back at it, I guess it was just really weird, but I naturally switched over to like letting my guard down and then like putting my guard up when I'm like walking home, you know, like, okay. (laughs) Did you have to put your guard up when you were at school too? Was it sort of a, like, you could relax in some places. And then when you were at school, you're like, oh, I need to be a certain type of person there. I need to, and one of the things we have heard about is like, as an only or one of a few people representing, you know, a culture, you have to be on your best behavior. You have to look good. You have to talk well, you know, you have to keep it real tight. Otherwise, you know, it's going to scandalize people. Yeah, kind of. Um, I just remember like doing uh, band and choir and like all that stuff that was like dorky. So then I was like, oh, I can't, I can't do that anymore. You know, like I I can't go to music class because, um, you know, uh, it's, it's not cool. So, so yes, some, some things, yes. And some other things I was just, you know, I really just enjoyed school. So it was, it was nice and it was fun. So what was it like at home? You're, it, your mom was raising you and your sister by herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, as there was not a two parent house. No, it was not. But you did have help at home as well. Yeah, right? so my grandparents, I, I grew up with my grandparents, like, like they basically raised us. And, and what was that like? It was, I mean, it was, I mean, we had like, 
dinner was like at 4 p.m. every day. So I it's like my friends calling me and it's like, why are you having dinner now? We don't eat until six or seven. And I'm like, because I'm supposed to go to bed at seven <laughs> after we watch like the, the Spanish news. <laughs> wow. Nothing like being 15 and living like an 85 year old. Exactly. So I totally like when I met my husband and like totally embraced his whole side of the family because they're all older. So I'm like, I, like, I feel so right at home. <laughs> Wow. That's funny. Wow. 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 Did you feel like there was a difference between what your grandparents will let you do and sort of the way your mom approached discipline was one, was anyone stricter than anyone else? Yeah, definitely. I think my grandma was very much because like nothing bad could ever happen to you. And like, that's it. And my mom was just more strict. We just grew up in a strict household. Like you have to go to school and, um, and that's that. That was your number one priority. You went to school. That was my number one priority, like school. And that's it. If you want like anything else that we provide for you, like you can have like a little job, but it cannot be our like. Yeah, we can, we can definitely relate to that. Did you um, take your parents or your, your grandparents up on that offer and say, yep, I want to get a job. So I have some spending Mm -hmm. money. So what did you do? I started babysitting at 12. I was like babysitting. That's one of the parts where I like really like kids because I've always been around them. And plus I'm the older, I'm the oldest of um, 12 cousins and we were all like there. Right. So um, I pretty much helped care of like all those boys. And I grew up with boys. It was just me and my sister. And we had- so it's you and your sister and then 10 boys. And then let me just be clear. You got married and you had two boys. And both of your mm-hmm. boys represent like several boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. Was there a difference between how you and your sister were raised? Way more leniency with her. I mean, I remember like going to her friend's house in middle school and like doing sleepovers. And I was like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> And you didn't get it. Your mom wouldn't let you or your grandmother wouldn't let you sleep over at friends' houses. No, I could never sleep over anybody's house. Like I always had to be like responsible and taking care of everybody. So I think that was kind of yeah. the thing that I look back at now when I, especially for my oldest son, I'm like, yeah, it's not your responsibility to take care of your brother. Like, <laughs> Kids are kids, right? They're not responsible for taking care of Yeah, not at all. I think you and and Shayla, she can relate on that. And me to a certain extent, because Shayla, she left to go to uh, like a math and science school. Um, That was a residential school. She left when she was 15. So I was 11. So I kind of had to take over that. But very much like the two of us were expected to take care of the two youngers. And then did you ever bring up to your your mom like did you ever say like why can Irene like go to a friend's house and I wasn't able to or I can't I guess I must have I don't remember I think I just kind of was like whatever I mean I pushed back in other ways but even to this day like you know I like jokingly tell my mom but I'm like really still better about it (laughs) and I'm like haha funny no um and she just laughs it off and uh she does realize though now that she said that she was like too strict with me and then too lenient with my sister. So yeah, definitely one of the um, stories of infamy in our family 
is that when I was eighth grade, so it would have been 13 or 14 maybe, mm-hmm. I um, went to see our school's basketball team play in the regional finals or quarterfinals or something like that. Um, and it was about an hour and a half from our house. I went with my best friend and my best friend's mom and dad and sister. Uh, my best friend's mom was the school's kindergarten teacher, was a kindergarten teacher for Kosha, was a kindergarten teacher for my other two siblings actually. Um, so they were really well known. I mean, I had been friends with this girl for such a long time and my, Parents said, look, if you're going to be late, you need to call. So we got down there, start, you know, whatever. I don't even remember what happened with the tournament, actually. We're on our way back. We stopped to eat. Um, and I called my parents from the payphone and I said, we're stopping to eat. We're going to be late. And my parents said, okay, fine. Then for some reason, we were just delayed. And we're driving. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be 15 minutes even later than I thought. And I got home Mm -hmm. and my parents were super nice, you know, and then saying bye and thank you. And as soon as the door closed, I was grounded. And I was like, how was I supposed to call? Like, I can't tell you I'm going to be late. How was I supposed to call? This is when I was 14 and I had a 9 p.m. curfew. And I got home at 9.45 instead of 9.30 when I told them I was going to be home. But then my younger sister, not Kosha, the youngest one, um, was allowed to go cosmic bowling with her friends, leaving the house at 1030 at night. And so there's just that huge discrepancy of like, I, first of all, I had a super, you know, super early curfew at nine o'clock. I called, how was I supposed to call you while we were driving to let you know it's going to be later? And I got in trouble for that, but she gets to leave the house even later than the curfew. Right. So, right. Yeah. Do you have a story like that where you're like, what the heck? Similar, like I was out with my friend. This must have been like my freshman year in high school. And I asked my mom, like, you know, I'm going to go to um, like this house and there's going to be like people there. It may be called a party, but I'm not sure. Oh, that's um, where you like, you're like, or I don't know the Spanish word. For that. <laughs> like a lot of people gathering <laughs> together. Um, so, you know, I was like, okay, we're going to be here. Well, of course it was a party and like, there was like drinking and stuff. And so my friend that I went with that we were supposed to go home together, she ended up getting drunk and she was throwing up. So I was late and I had called my mom and I said, you know, we're going to be late. Well, it must have been like 20 minutes past the time I told her, like I was going to be home. And she like, I didn't, I remember not telling her specifically where we were because I thought like, she's going to show up and like, you know, embarrass me. So I was like, you know, we're going to get, uh, we're, we're getting a ride. We're just waiting for her mom, blah, blah, blah. My mom showed up and was like, get in the car in front of everybody. It was like the most embarrassing thing ever. I was like, no one's going to want to hang out with me anymore. And she had like this clunky, like Ford and it just like made a horrible sound. And I'm like, Oh Jesus, like I, I can't. And she's like, get in the car. And I'm like, I just want to I'm like, I gotta wait for my friend. She's like, your friend's drunk. I know she is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you know all of this? So wow. And then was Irene like allowed to go to parties? Like she didn't have to explain school left and right. And I'm like, you know, she doesn't even go to class, right? 
She's like, oh, well, you know, she told me, and I'm like, Ma, like, okay, fine. You know what? We're not going to go there with that. If we go there, it's going to be bad. We're going to get angry. Yes. So that was like, that was probably my most embarrassing story that I have, like, of my mom just, just being my mom. (laughs) So that was high school. And that was freshman year of high school. Did it change at all as you went through high school? Um, I eventually met my really good friend, Renee, who, um, I'm still good friends with and, um, my mom liked her. So that was nice. And so eventually like I could spend the night at her house and we could like go out together. So that was, but that probably didn't happen until I want to say junior year. There was a little bit more freedom, a little bit looser junior year, but I think sounds like your mom was very protective of you. Yeah, totally. Like. Absolutely. She was very strict on top of did it. Did she so. ever, did she ever talk about why she was so strict? Was it, was there some kind of seed inside that like was the reason? Well, her parents were really strict. Like my grandparents were strict. Right. Um, and I think she really just like the fact that she had to do like the mom and dad role like, I think she felt like if I'm not a hundred percent on top of these girls, like something bad will happen. I mean, I'm forever. My mom's been like, don't accept a drink from anybody. Like someone's going to try to drug you and you're going to die. I'm like, oh my God, mom. I'm like, well, relax. Like, <laughs> I don't think that the McDonald's guy wants to drug yeah. you or whatever. Right. Like and she still says things here and there and she'll be like, oh, you know, but I know you're careful and like, you know. Oh, you're having a sip of beer, but you're not going to drive for another hour. So that's fine. <laughs> oh, like she's trying to just get it in there. Yeah. You're like, I'm also a mother of two. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she's definitely yeah. a lot now, but, and she would, you know, she worked a lot. She worked, she had like two, three jobs sometimes. So um, she really felt like she had to like, like have a hold on us. Are you close to her now? We are. We're close. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I get it. Like I get what she had to do. I mean, I, I see that now, like with my kids, I'm like, you know, I try not to be helicopter parent, but eh, it's different too. You know, I have a husband that helps and family and all of that. So it's not so intense. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that we often hear those first generation kids as they get older and they've gotten their, you know, they're, they're married, they have their own children and they just, you realize how scary the world is it it, from the perspective of how much it would kill you inside if something ever happened to your child and how much you can't you know how unbelievably painful that would be and how much what would you do to protect protect your kid from anything happening to them you know that's awful And, and layer that on top of the fact that for our parents this was a, a completely unknown world. You're navigating new language, new culture, new customs, new school system. You, everything right. is so different than the country that you may have come from. And so then you just put that on top of it and it does help you understand why parents would have been strict. I mean, I'll do whatever I can to make sure that you're safe. because. I'm scared. I don't know what's out there. I don't understand, you know, I'm not sure how to navigate this system. I certainly can't let you do it by yourself, right? And also my mom didn't speak English very, I mean, you know, like she 
could get by, but it wasn't great. So, um, yeah, that so, yeah. largely complicated things, I'm sure. Um, so then that was high school. I um, mean, you're, you know, you're sort of like, I can't sneeze without getting in trouble. And my sister can run around town, you know, yeah, do whatever she wants. Um, Irene, you're supposed to go to class. <laughs> right? So then what happened when you went to college? Did you stay in the area or did you go away? I stayed in the area. Like, I didn't go away because it was, like, one, it was too expensive. Two, it was just, like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at first. Where did you go to school? So I went to community college and I got all my stuff for early childhood there. That was it. I started working because there was really no, nothing else. like I had to hustle. So I, I put myself through school, I worked and, um, and that was it. I really liked working with kids. I wanted to originally go to school. Like I was, I was trying to do political science cause I wanted to go to law school, but, um, I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Probably it's like really expensive. I mean, we could do it, but I don't know. And then I just started working at a school with uh, young, younger kids, like three-year-olds. And I really liked it. Early childhood. That, I mean, the seed was definitely planted, like you said, when you were growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I've been really lucky to work with like, um, a diverse, like a range of kids. So it's been really nice to, to be able to work directly with them, but also like help families and connect them to like services. And especially families that like, you know, parents, English is not their first language, like how to navigate those things. And um, so that's been really cool. And yeah, it's been nice. And I would say right now, 90% of my job, what I do really is kind of coach parents to not be so crazy about their two and three-year-olds. In terms of? Like helicopter and, and, or, you know, there needs to be curriculum when they go to preschool. It's like, dude, let them, let them play. <laughs> they need to learn to go potty first. Let's start with the potty. <laughs> then we right. can work on the real <laughs> curriculum. <laughs> right. So, well, I remember uh, someone I knew picked a preschool, or it was a daycare, picked a daycare. It was $2,400 a month, which in the city, mm -hmm. we live in Chicago. You know, like, I'm not judging how much you spend because it, it's different if you're in Grand Rapids or the middle of Idaho or whatever. But it was a pricey daycare. And she, the mom was like, but they have, quote, music appreciation. This little girl was not even a year old. And they had music appreciation. And I said, what do they do? And she's like, oh, I don't know. That's a good question. She just heard music appreciation. They put in a CD that was like uh, classical music. Which is very important. Classical music is very good for kids' brains, but also you can do that and not call it music appreciation. And I, you're just making it sound fancy, I think. Like parents parents want that kind of, mm -hmm. without right. realizing like you could do that at home too, or you could, any school could put that on. 
Yeah, the, the child care field has become really intense. And it's so funny that we're talking about this because I feel like a lot of first generation parents that are like now raising their kids are the ones that are like, we want everything and music appreciation, so like not all of immigrant it. Parents, all of- but like us, like our generation. Really? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, we get kids like, well, um, for example, like how rigid is your, like how much math and science do you have in your curriculum? And I'm like, well, our school's for three and five-year-olds. So I don't know. We can do like a butterfly experiment. We count. Um, we know, talk about the sun. Like, like, yeah. Right. But like, you know, if you have like a little bit of understanding of early childhood development, it, it really is about like the foundation and the fundamentals, right? Like are your basic needs mm-hmm. being met? And these parents really want to throw their kids into a new environment and expect them to start, you know, learning the periodic table when I'm like, well, they have to like feel comfortable where they are. Like I'm a stranger to them. I'm pretty sure that doesn't feel good. So can we get past all that anxiety first? And then we can talk about some of the things that they can learn. So, um, they have a really tough time understanding wow. that. That's sometimes. so fascinating for two reasons. One is that's such a surreal trend that um, that you're observing uh, that that there would be a huge push for a curriculum. And I don't know. I've been you know I've been hearing from people who have children who are ready you know ready to go to college is that somehow the college experience or the college admissions experience has gotten so competitive that it's almost like people feel like they need to start in preschool. Oh, they do. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, where we are in this area, it's ridiculous how much you will pay for daycare. Um, and what the wait lists are like, what the expectation is for a child coming out of preschool, going into kindergarten. Um, it's wow. insane. It's absolutely insane. And I'm like, these poor kids are just being like bombarded with all this unnecessary anxiety and expectations of you have to know this, you have to know that. Like, oh, my little Timmy can say the alphabet and he's only one. Like, my kid loves to eat dirt. Which are both developmentally appropriate in the different ways. Timmy also likes to eat dirt. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? Diego has a fantastic um, metabolism. <laughs> That's awesome. Also, think- he's gonna he's gonna be r- running the world one day, yeah. so I'm not that worried about Diego at all. Well, you know, we I see that a lot, and I see it like these kids are really. Um, you know, the, 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 everything's done for them. Um, the expectation is that they, they really matter. Like they are the only people that matter. Um, so my best, my best friend, uh, Jen is a daycare provider and she's with the, ba- the infants, the babies. And she said, she's been at the same place for over 15 years. And she has recently said that she's noticed the trend of parenting not of kids, but of parenting. It's been harder because parents don't want to put down their kid. They don't want to walk away to go do the laundry or something like that. They're really expected to 
hold them all the time. And she's like, that it's not going to happen here. We're two teachers to eight kids or whatever. And when I was looking for a daycare for my daughter, we call her Batsy. Um, she, it was, I, I asked her for advice. Jen ended up giving me advice for myself was like, I don't care where you take her. You need to check your expectations on the fact that like those teachers are not your kids' parents. So like you cannot expect them to just be all for bats all the time. And that was really good for me because when I see something at school, I will always come with the first thing I'll say is like, I know that my child is not the only person that you have to take care of. So I just want to level set those expectations. But it sounds like not a lot of parents are getting that advice these days. No, no. Unfortunately, everything's our fault. So in education, it's just becoming really just a little disheartening too, you know? So um, there's a lot of moving parts and I wish your friend could advise all parents. I want to just loop back a little bit and talk about that observation you have with first-generation parents pushing their kids. Because I, I see two parts of it, right? One, one, one of the things we hear from for first-generation kids when we talk to them, adults, I guess now they're all adults, is that um, they were pushed really, really hard in school. And you, you just said the same thing. Education was the most important. You can't, you know, fun comes second. And certainly our parents used to say things like, you don't go to school for a fashion show, you go to school to learn, right? You don't go to school to, to hang out with your friends, you go to school to learn, all kinds of things like that. So on one hand, I would think, gosh, these people who as kids were really pressure cooked to do well in school are now turning around and they have kids and you think they would be like, you know what, it's cool. And on the other hand, I would think, it's like, because you understand the system, you know, you are actually almost laser focused on this, right? So where do you, sort of, where do you see all of these pieces coming together? Or is it like, I went through this, so you're going to go through this, or I want you to succeed. So we got to get on the ground floor. You know, a lot of it has, what I've noticed personally is a lot of it has to do with like all the information that is online now. And everybody going online, reading all of these, like, you know, the sleep method, you ferberize your baby, you swaddle, you do this, you do that, no, do this, do that. And so um, I, I think part of it is like, yes, they, they had that instilled in them. So they want to do well. So they want to continue with that. But I also think like all the families that I work with are extremely privileged and uh, they have done really well for themselves um, and they have a lot of resources available to them. So I think they really genuinely obviously do want the best for their kids, but it's it's a little overbearing in, in the way that they wanna go about it too. So, um, but yeah, but then also like you have all these online forums on everything that has to do with like sleeping, eating, burping. Well, how much of it is confirmation bias where they really want a curriculum 
music appreciation. So they're going to find an article written by somebody saying yeah. you should have music appreciation and then they bring it to you. So it's almost like, you know, I, I work in the medical industry and we hear a lot of like, you know, I promise you Google University is not better than my medical degree. So a lot of that, that, that sounds like what you're hearing a lot is, you know, and I, I feel like first generation uh, now adults, we came up with like getting all of that information, right? Like learning how to use the internet and using Google. So is it, is any of it like that we're taking what we know how to do and then having that confirmation confirmation bias and being like, see, this doctor said, this is, this is how I can feel p- empowered. And then it's your job to like assuage their ego, I guess. I'm not really sure. You know, I, I don't know. I, it, that's a really interesting question. I also, you know, everybody that I work with, like they all have degrees from really great schools. They know a lot. But also like where we live in the Bay Area, like Silicon Valley, like it's very competitive too. So I don't know if that's part of the keeping up with the Bay Area families type of thing. Like, you know, my kid goes to this school and they do this at their school and this is what they're learning and this is where they're going to go to elementary. And everybody that I know that it's like my son's age, five-year-old, they're like, they're already signed up for like five sports sporting events this summer it's like okay we're barely getting to one but I don't know I don't know if it's just here mostly here in the Bay Area I mean I think it translates into other parts of the country but it's it's really it's crazy here neither my husband nor I are particularly we have great careers and we love our careers right and both of us have master's degrees I'm not that's not to say that we don't value education um, but we value that within context of a life I guess maybe is where I want to go with that, which is, um, you know, I've got one kid who is super artistic and, you know, what I've, what we've said to them is, do you have to be a good person? You have to be able to support yourself and any other, you know, commitments you take on. Um, and you have to do some good in the world, use your talents and your gifts to do some good in the world. Same for our son. Our son is high functioning, you know, high functioning autistic, basically. He actually doesn't need the, the hard math and science curriculum. He needs the social emotional curriculum. And we've really valued sort of those pieces more than we have valued the, how do you learn calculus? Because you could always find a way to learn calculus. What is very difficult to find is how do you manage your own emotions? How do you speak gently but firmly to people? How do you hold boundaries? How do you, how are you empathetic? All of these things that like make the world a better place for people and allow us to interact in, in you know, kind ways, diversity in a huge society. Like at least we can be kind to each other if nothing else. Um, and that, you, nobody will teach you once you leave school, right? You need to have that set up really well. Uh, you can, like I said, you can always take classes to learn math and science, but you, nobody will teach you how to do the social emotional piece after a certain point. I mean, there's so much mm-hmm. research that shows that having a kind child will get them, or being a kind person gets you much farther than being a smart person. And I remember, you know, I've said this before, but 
it, being kind, like being a good person was like a given when we were growing up. It was like, well, of course, of course you're going to be nice to people, but it wasn't like if they, if my parents went to a parent teacher conference, you know, the teacher said, um, well, Kosha is like really kind. They'd have been like, that's great. But how are her math skills? Is she smart? Like a teacher saying that I was smart kind of slotted above a teacher saying that I was really kind or gracious or whatever. Now I know that when I have, I have a first grader, so she's six and a half. And when I have a parent teacher conference, I want to hear how she is with the other kids. Is she kind? Does she respect other kids? Does she shared? I hate to say, I'm first of all, I'm surprised to hear right. that first generation parents are kind of reverting. I want to say I'm disappointed to hear that. Yeah. Because it's almost like, have we learned nothing? What do you, what do you say to these parents when they come at you like that? I mean, I, I, that's what I say to them is that, you know, we have to, we are teaching them how to fend for themselves and fending for yourself is not knowing the right math equation all the time. Right. So like, we have to give them the tools and empower them to like be okay to do things on their own. And if they make a mistake, like let's get up and try again, because a lot of the times, like what we see is like these kids can barely like put a sock on by themselves and they're five years old. And it's like, well, how are they going to do in kindergarten? <laughs> like, how are they like do other places? So, um, that's really what I try to tell parents, like, yeah, curriculum is good and that's all great, but we need to empower them and teach them how to like be functional adults. Like if your friend gets hurt, like stop and say, Hey, are you okay? You know, what's going on? Do you need help? Um, I don't know. It, it, it's a battle. It's a struggle. I feel like pretty much every day I have to have that kind of conversation with a parent. Yeah. So you've, I'm reading in your bio that you started in early childhood education and you started, you know, at the teacher's aid level and have just continued to move your way up. Um, and now you're the director of the preschool that you're at. Are your interactions with parents tinged with any othering words, looks, phrases, anything that you're like, ooh, that felt a little racist. All the time. I get this all the time. I mean, if I were like white talking to them. Yeah. And this is not just, I mean, like this has happened over and over again where like, well, is there anybody else I could talk to? I'm like, no, you're talking to it like that. This yeah. is it. This is the, the top of the, the end of the road, my friend. Like this is as high as we can get. But like, it, you know, stuff like this happens. I mean, you guys know, I mean, it, you know, it's like, I almost have to be like extra bothersome, extra bossy just to, just to get the point across and just, you know, like this is, this is the final say, you know, with COVID, like it can't wear a mask. Well, I need to talk to somebody. I'm like, you're talking to somebody. So, you know, it's just, but I have to get like, it needs to be kind of bitchy and Otherwise, you know, they'll walk all over me. And, um, but I feel like for sure, there's been plenty of times where like, if, if my skin were white, 
And I said these things, it would have been like yeah. the end of the conversation right there. That would have been a full stop. Like, you can never win. You can never win. And like, we just had like heritage day at school. And so I dressed in my like beautiful Mexican embroidered dress with beautiful colors. And um, I thought, oh, oh, you're, Me yeah. I'm like, no, I'm Mexican. I identify as like, when people say like, where are your parents? I'm like, I'm Mexican. I do because I feel like I am Mexican. I, you know, I embrace the culture. Like I speak Spanish to my kids, you know, we're teaching them about both cultures. Um, and this is not the first time that I've gotten this like, oh, wow, you don't have an accent. As if every person from Mexico literally came up Cross the border yesterday. Right. Well, first of all, if listeners don't know, Mex California belonged to Mexico before it belonged to the United States. So people who are in yeah. California are being othered. They were the original Californians, right? So the people are like, oh, you don't sound like you have an accent. Well, I don't know. My people could have lived here like from the 1700s. What do you mean you don't have an accent? Yeah. Actually, my grandmother's family lived in El Paso like before. I mean, years. Yeah, you're like, you're like, we haven't gone anywhere. Like, go back to where I came from. <laughs> it's here. It just happens to be the United States now. That uh, when we go to the store, and I'm like, you know, we go to a nice store like Nordstrom's or whatever, Bloomingdale's. Nothing. I get nothing. I get like looks. I'll get followed because I think I'm trying to steal, especially like if I have a stroller. But as soon as like David, my husband, wow. walks up next to me, he's like, Oh, do you like this dress? Like right away. Oh, can we help? You? Like, and David is Italian. He's Italian, but he's white. But he looks, he's a white guy. Okay. He's a white guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, no, no. I was just going to say, like, you know, some one of the reasons we're, we even started this podcast is, this anti-immigrant kind of anti-brown, black, Asian, everything, you know, just, I, I remember when I met David, your husband, and he was talking about you. I said something like, oh my God, how often does she get asked if she's like legally here? And he actually like, brisk, like he's like, I can't even talk about it. Like it made him angry to think about how often that happens to you. And just to hear David get so angry about that, that we had to like change topics. I'm like, I just met you yesterday. We won't talk about this. So, I mean, that must, that must, I mean, the fact, I, I guess the whole thing was like the fact that just the assumption, right? That like, uh, you don't have an accent, you don't belong. Like all of that is, is so infuriating. And now you're at like, you're a director of a school and you're still dealing with this. Like it just doesn't end. I mean, with, uh, with my youngest. Yeah. I mean, all the time with my youngest Marco. That's not your youngest. Um, you should probably yeah, cut I mean, that out too. My oldest, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you want to start you know that over takes with over my, my youngest? <laughs> no, but, but also like you're doing that mom thing where you just like, you know, I, just yeah, one right. of them. Yeah. I'm like, Marco, Diego, who go? Who go, David? Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's more like David. So his, you know, his with your fair. older one, Marco. With my, um, I mean, plenty of times when he was a baby and we'd go to the park, I was like, 
oh, does the family that you work with, does his family live around here? Like, oh, wow, he responds so well to you. Yeah. You're so good with That's him. Like, well, came out of me. My younger yeah. one, uh, particularly for the first two years of his life, was almost blonde, like very, very light skin and dark, dark blue eyes. He's since gotten dark browner hair and hazel eyes. So it's gotten a little bit darker, but for the longest time was just a light skinned kid. Look, and I got a lot of like, oh, you must be the nanny. And I was like, no, I am the mother. Same. One time, and my daughter does not throw tantrums very much, like has never really, but she decided to throw a tantrum. She was probably 12 or 13 months old and we're coming back from the park. And she not only, she's very fair still now she's gotten darker, but she's very, very fair. And she looked exactly like my husband. She started to look a little bit more like me, but the carbon copy of my husband when she was younger. So one time I was bringing her back from the park, we we're walking home. She was screaming and I'm holding her under my arm like a football and she's, she's screaming, no, don't take me. So I'm like, oh my God, people are going to like think I'm kidnapping this child because even in whatever that was 2015, the assumption is that's not your kid. And then Diego, your younger one is a little bit darker, a little bit darker, less fair. He, he definitely looks like me a little bit more and he's darker. So, um, you know, that's my little buddy. And there. interestingly, he doesn't respond to you as well as Marco does. <laughs> so you're like, he doesn't respond to anybody. But yeah. So much for my degree and putting that to good use. <laughs> that, that probably gives you so much sympathy or empathy, I should say with your parents. Like, Listen, it doesn't matter what the curriculum is, what, how many degrees you have. I don't care if you, you know, the parents went to Yale and Harvard medical school, mm-hmm. like the kid's going to be the kid. I think that, I mean, I definitely have noticed that with my daughter, like I, you can only do so much, which is zero to influence that kid's personality, which is what you're trying to do in your school, right? Is like help them kind of use their personality for the best right versus teaching them calculus right we just want them to have a good balance and a good foundation of uh you know caring for each other and looking out for each other and being what you can you know doing what you can to help others i think is really important all we can do is our part right so i want to change gears a little bit and jump forward a bit and how did you talk about your current family situation and you know, what's it like now? And not your job, yes, but also we were talking about your husband and children. So how did you meet your husband? We met at the gym. He's a spin oh, instructor. Oh, that's was. awesome. Yeah, he, he used to be, yes. So I took his class um, and that was it. And we met and I think what really attracted us to each other was the strong family dynamic that we have I mean he he is Italian like his mom is very you know Italian and and um the big family and the loud I mean we yell we all yell so it's funny to like um interact with with other kids that you know because we'll be like get that over there and we're like oh my gosh are you mad I'm like oh no that's just how we talk like you know um 
So it's like that. Um, but yeah, you know, we, um, I think from the beginning, we kind of really established that we want it. Like if we were, we're going to start a family, like we wanted to instill those good family values. So, um, you know, we really uh, do dinners every night together. Now, is that something you had or didn't have growing up? Because your mom was working so much. You know what we did? I did have that. We both had that because we had like, I mean, even if I had dinner at 4 p.m., like I was eating <laughs> dinner with like grandparents or like there was always family, like we always had to sit down and, and have dinner together. Watching, not, you know, like we're sitting down, we're talking, we're interacting and that's it, you know? So, um, and that was the same for him. How, if you don't mind talking a little bit about your courtship and your marriage, how did that, you know, when you, when you're like, I met someone, was there any resistance, concern, pushback to uh, not marrying someone or, you know, not being involved with someone from your culture, your background? I never liked to date Latin guys, first of all, because one, like American and so they don't want to date somebody in their culture. They want to like, right? So they're going to go for like a white girl or whatever is like the next best thing that they think that that is. Um, and two, though, the other the, uh, the other ones that are a little more like down to earth, they're very um, traditional. And whatever they say goes, they run the house. And patriarchal, like, male-dominated. Exactly. And I was like, we're about to fight. And so this is just not going to work. So, you know, um, so when I met David, um, it was really cute how he kind of hit it off with my family. Well, first of all, he speaks Spanish. So, you know, that went over great with my grandparents. I'm sure they were like, oh my gosh, what's going on? This is amazing. I mean, they probably probably didn't say it like that. (laughs) Yeah, right. They yes. probably didn't sound like that. They said it like yeah. that in Spanish, though. How does David know Spanish? Just from being in California or? Um, no. So his ex was Spanish. So he has a little thing for Spanish. Girls, oh. so, <laughs> Latin too. so, you know, he definitely has a type. Um, so, yes. So that's how that's how he knows Spanish. And then it's gotten better. Actually, his Spanish is a lot better than my Italian, I have to say. So, Um so it's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, my grandmother had a little crush on him and everybody really liked him. I mean, he's just such a nice guy and he has such a good vibe about him that like, it's hard not to like him. So um, we just hit it off really well. And we dated for a long time. We dated for five years before we got married. And then, um, and that was it. I mean, I think people were kind of like two, three years into it. Okay. When are you guys going to get married? <laughs> like, let's go. Uh, we want to see some kids and all that good stuff. All, so you we- are very young. Okay. Like you were not, you're not like you weren't 50 when you got married. You're very young. So everyone needed to calm down. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know. Well, his, his mom was really like, oh my gosh, you're 35 and you're not married. Like she was on top of him. So, um, yeah, no pressure. So then, and then, so you got married in Puerto Vallarta. Did you have a traditional Mexican wedding? Did you incorporate aspects of both cultures? What was your wedding like? And and I have, I have a theory that um, 
weddings and babies bring out the craziest in everybody. And then like people do things you're like, what's going on? Like what just happened here? First of all, Shayla, she has that theory because that happened to her. No, I, you know what? This is true. I mean, I, I can see why. Um, I have to say we are very lucky that we didn't really have that. So um, I didn't want to fuss about the wedding. I didn't want to do all that craziness. Um, we decided to get married in Puerto Vallarta because um, everything was going to be done for us. And we literally got to pick stuff out online and look at pictures and say, I like this. <laughs> and uh, that was it. Um, you know, we, we got married on the beach in Mexico. So that was really the theme for the wedding. Uh, but we did have, I did want a mariachi. Like I really wanted that. So we got that. Was there any struggle with your mom about what kind of wedding you were going to have? I certainly know. Um... Um, no, uh, there wasn't. First of all, like we paid for our wedding. So we were like, I don't want to hear anything that anybody has to say about who's invited, who's not invited, but you like, this is not your wedding. So, and you're not paying for it. So, <laughs> um, so no, I think I pretty much shut her down early on about that. Um, so. And do you think she would have tried? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Oh, for sure. My, my wedding, my wedding had 400 some people. Now, to be fair to my families, um, my dad is one of six. My mom has one sibling, but is very close with two cousins. So I always say she's one of four, basically. Um, my husband's dad was one of eight. And my husband's mom is one of four. And then there's aunts and uncles and cousins and second cousins and cousins' children. And, and, and you, it's a family thing. So you cannot not invite people. For example, I've, you know, I've had friends who are like, no kids. And I was like, that would never fly in my family ever, right? Then the other thing is, it's also a bit of like social obligation. So anytime anyone ever invited you to their thing, it's, you know, they invite them back and this and that. Um, and it just gets to be so, so, so big. So our, our wedding was one of, we had 400 people. Our reception was like, we had 825 or 850 years. You had, you had 650 people. And we invited 850 then. I mean, yes, yes. You invited really them. Big. Not obviously not everyone can make it to everything, but it was like really huge. Um, it was, it was so huge, but I just remember thinking, you know, gosh, I, I would love not to be doing this thing, um, but I'm so in, you know, I'm sort of stuck in this obligation place where like my family is waiting on me to get married so that they can fulfill their social obligations. Like this is the, you know, the thing. Um, it's just so much expectation built into weddings and how, and how people are like, oh, I've been, it's almost like moms dream about it more than daughters do. Oh, I've been dreaming about what I'm going to do for your wedding for a long time. And I was like, I, I never thought what I'm going to do at my wedding. I was like, that was like a reason why we got married in Puerto Vallarta because like David's family, I mean, I like that would have totally happened had we gotten married here. As, yeah, because his mom would have been like, well, you know, you got to invite the Batuchis and so and so because 
they invited us and my mom, like your aunt, she was like, I'm so offended. It's like, but you know, like I have a pretty big extended family. And so paying for your own wedding in Indian culture at a certain like affluence level at a certain privilege or caste even and above, it's like not thought about, right? Like you're mm-hmm. just, your parent, the, the bride's parents pay for the wedding. This is what we do. So it wasn't even considered part of like the options. But now as a 41 year old, I look back and I'm like, man, just, just saying like, well, I'll pay for it then would have shifted the entire power dynamic because the money is what holds the power when it comes to that. Well, I am paying for it. And that, that gave them, you know, the, the right to, to make a lot of the decisions that we wouldn't have made. You made such a smart decision to just be like, we're paying for it. That means you have no say here. You can give an opinion, but there's no obligation to follow through on that opinion. So, so then the other time people go off into some weird fifth dimensional space in their head is when kids are born, right? So when, when the issue of kids starts to come around and it's like, oh, you're newlyweds, whatever, you're having fun and nothing's, nothing's really serious yet, right? Then once the subject of kids comes up and certainly once you get pregnant, then there's a lot of concern and conversation about how are you going to raise your children? Um, what kind of, you know, customs are you gonna do are you gonna do this you're gonna do that well we do it this way we do it that way did you experience any of that um a little bit I mean we still kind of go back and forth with the whole language thing like um you know when the kids are with my family it's like all Spanish and then you know his David's mom is very much like why don't you teach the kids Italian like they need to know Italian and so um, it's a little bit, but, you know, I think it was easy in the, because we're both Catholic. So we were like, okay, we'll baptize them. We're not, you know, we're like Catholic now. So um, it's not uh, as intense, but we're like, you know what, we'll baptize them, whatever they want to do when they get older. Like that's, that's up to them. You know, we've done our duty, but I feel like if we hadn't baptized the kids, there would have been hell to pay for sure. That was like the battle. You choose your battles. And that was the battle you chose to go like, okay. Right, exactly. It's like, we for our wedding and we won't invite all of your friends, but we'll, we'll back. As I'm saying this, <laughs> sitting in my like half preschool that I work at. Sorry, sister. <laughs> sorry, and sister I, Catherine. I'm sorry too. Um, but, but yeah, that was, that was the thing. And it, it, now like, I mean, we're kind of like, COVID, you know, you can't go to church, but right before the kids are old enough to go to church. Why don't you guys go to church on Sunday? So it's, um, you know. What is considered old enough to go to church? Because Diego's three and I can't imagine a three-year-old sitting through mass. Well, that was my whole thing. And I was like, listen, we're going to shut it down real quick. Like we'll take this kid to church and then we'll just get kicked out permanently. That. like not a problem let's just go and then you never have to go again because now you're banned I mean you know we're you know we, we they're going to a catholic school so you know there is some faith in there but at the end of the day like whatever they're going to do when they grow up like that's up to them you know I'm not going to push it. and that's uh that that's really been it I have to say we've been really lucky to 
to have families that are really supportive and, um, you know, uh, just very caring. So that should be the standard always. Um, and I think I can, I can speak for at least Kosha and I, um, that we have been similarly blessed that even though we are in cross-cultural relationships, um, our partners and our partners' families have been very accepting and open and, you know, loving, um, and the same for our families with our partners, which is, you know, it's like they don't even, we've been married so long, they don't even really see what's happening. You know, I think both of our spouses have had the experience of our mom speaking to them in Gujarati, which is our, you know, my, my parents and at least my native language, um, without even realizing who she's talking to first. She's just like, oh, you're one of my kids. And then she starts talking to Drathi and then she has to like pause and start over. Or we again. have to tell her, mom, you can't yeah. speak it. You have to speak in English. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, Idette, because we've talked about this before and uh, we've talked about it on a couple podcasts, but like in terms of cultural celebrations, um, obviously you both grew up Catholic, you and David. So there's, there's going to be stuff that, you know, Christmas and Easter, you're going to share those, those celebrations. But one of the things I know you had said something, I want to talk about, um, or day of the dead. And then also, was there something mm -hmm. about Christmas that David was like, you do what? We do. We're, I'm like, seriously, I'm so Mexican. This is, uh, I love it because we do everything. We go all out for all the stuff. We sing this like birthday song in Spanish and it talks about like King David. And he's like, what the hell does King David have to do with any birthday? And it's like, I have to explain to him and I'm like, I don't know, but this is just what we sing and, you know, just go with it. So, um, so for, so we do Dia de los Muertos and usually we put up like a picture or, you know, something favorite of the person that's passed on. Do you have an ofrenda? An ofrenda, but we can't light a candle at home because David is terrified that, um, that the house will burn down. So um, we're, we're not allowed to do that. An ofrenda is altar. Yeah, it's just you're, you're basically like accepting um you're welcoming the dead back to to their land for the one time and you put their favorite things out right so like it could be a favorite food a favorite like a picture or whatever you know something that they like so um so we've been doing I mean you know we don't really we did that a lot growing up and we do that at like for Dia de los Muertos, I love going to my mom's house because like everybody's picture is up and like the candles and the um, the sugar skulls and the candy is there. There's like a special candy that they put out. Um, so it's really fun. And um, and the boys are old enough now that they can kind of get it. You know, they're not, you know, Marco more so than Diego, but, um, but it's fun. And then for Christmas Eve, we, um, so Traditionally, we celebrate Christmas for us is like Christmas Eve is the big thing. So it's the Eve and we start the, I mean, you like there's special things that you make like special tamales, like special dishes that go with Christmas Eve. Um, and then you wait until midnight and at midnight you have to rock baby Jesus. I know this sounds weird, but you rock him and you sing a special song and you pass him around and you're basically welcoming like, you know, Jesus back. Um, so David has been um, a part of this and he was like, 
um, his first comment was like, I think it's just really gross how we all have to kiss the same baby Jesus. And (laughs) (laughs) this is pre-COVID. This is pre-COVID. So now you can't. And um, so, yeah, so we did that and we haven't done that in the past two years because of COVID, but yes, it's. it's So too, you could, what you can um, kiss and sanitize and kiss and wipe. Kiss and wipe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that would work now, so I don't think that we're gonna do that. Aww. On an altar with the nativity scene and all that cute stuff. So it's this big thing, and 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 traditionally you go to like your neighbor's house and you sing a song and like caroling and all of that good stuff. So, but we can't do that here in the burbs because they'll call the cops wow. on us for disturbing the peace. So you live in a mostly white neighborhood? Yeah. I mean, the Bay Area is so interesting that way. And we referenced it a little bit before, Mm -hmm. just for a place that has so much overall diversity. Um, It's kind of amazing how there are these pockets of you know, very, very white areas. Um, and as, as you had said before, it called it low key racism. Not like, not like I'm gonna call ice on you, but just generally questioning, do you, are, are you okay to be here? Because you don't look like you're okay to be here. Um, Right. And I think, you know, that's just this, this, again, this othering that happens without someone being like, you're a blah, blah, whatever it is, right? Go back to Mexico, go back to where you came from. Nobody has to say that, but that a tradition that your family has that comes from your culture you can't share that with your neighbors because that's not the dominant culture. And if you try to share that, you get in trouble. So what does that say about, you know, other cultures and white dominant culture versus other cultures coming in? Is it really, you know, a great melting pot? Or are we basically saying like, you can be here as long as you don't make me uncomfortable? Right, as long as you don't disturb the peace. You can be brown in my world, but yeah. I don't have to understand your brown world because that's uncomfortable for me. I think right. that that's, you know, what one of the connecting threads is, is that, you know, first generation Americans like us, like we are embraced and loved. We have friends, but the minute it becomes uncomfortable for somebody else, it's like, yeah. oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, that's not, I didn't ask for that. Yeah. I didn't need you to make yeah. me think about it's, things. So you speak, you speak Spanish at home mm-hmm. with your kids? Yeah. And they speak I, Spanish back to you? They don't speak Spanish back to me. Um, they, they say they don't. Well, Marco said, I only speak English, mom. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, but yes, we do speak Spanish, a lot of Spanish, a little bit of Italian, but yeah. 
a lot of Italian. So do you, so was that a, a conscious choice for you to be this multilingual house? Yeah. Yeah. I really wanted them to know different languages. Plus I think it's like in every other country, like when you go to school, I remember when I was going to school in Mexico, like I had to learn English. So like by the time I got, I mean, I was in kindergarten, I, I did English one year. So when I got here, I'm like, yeah, I know English. Mm-hmm. Like you have to learn a language. Like, you have to learn another language. So when people say, I think that's one of the things that really bothers me about like when people say like, oh, English, but it's like, I mean, it's okay to know different languages. I think that's great, especially for kids. It, you know, it's, yeah. it's great for them to know mul- multiple languages. Like why can't we enforce that in school a little bit more? Like, you know, so, um, so yeah, so we, I speak Spanish to them a lot. So they understand Spanish a lot. Um, if somebody were to speak to them in Spanish, they would know what they're saying. Um, they just won't respond back. Um, and then a little bit of Italian, not not as much as Spanish, but a little bit. We're getting there. <laughs> so I'm, That's uh-huh. awesome. I think this yeah. is a great opportunity to talk about. And I'm, now I'm going to be really, really curious because you've got three languages in the mix uh, about this concept that we've asked everyone about. Mm-hmm. Famelect, which is, for our listeners, hopefully you know now, the sort of special language that you have in your own family. The words that you pick up or the phrasing or the, you know, little quirks that you have that maybe no one else would understand, but you and your family understand it. Well, and often, yeah, and every family has that, right? Like every family has words that they use. Um, you know, if, if I say something like, oh, Lordy, Lordy, and my, and Anushka knows like what that means, but what we're really looking for is the, the cultural familect that has infiltrated your home. Like you coming from a Mexican background, David coming from an Italian background, your kids learning all. Yeah. What are some of those words that, or phrases um, that like you use and they don't, uh, this is the thing that like, I think it's, it's really funny is you don't have to use them appropriately like so yeah what what is some of that familect from you in your house ah we say we say ay 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 so for everything it's like ay 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 like you know when somebody does anything it it could be like funny it could be dorky it could be like really a big deal um so you know so now the kids when I forget something like I'll forget their masks when we leave the door, I'm like, oh, I gotta run back in the house. And I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, mom. And I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. So, you so know, that could be for a small, stupid thing, or it could be for a big, like, serious for thing. For a big thing. And then, you know, like, if somebody, you know, has a pee accident, I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's got the equivalent vibe of like the F word. But, you know, it's like, it can be. It can be hilarious. It can be uh, like the exclamation. It can be angry. It can be just like exasperated. Oh, that's awesome. So that's really the the big one that we have that we've all like say. And when somebody says I I I, like <laughs> okay, you have to look for like something spilled or in there, like somebody dropped, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's awesome. Is there anything 
Are, do you have any words where you've sort of mashed up Italian and Spanish? We have we have those a lot, but mm. you know they're not as uh, consistent as I, I um yeah. What yeah. I think about when I hear I, I I it's so horrible. It's it's so racist. I remember uh, Speedy Gonzalez. Do you remember yeah. Speedy? And and I'm like it's those things. Those like as Shayla she was saying like the racist overtones of certain things without saying you don't belong here or something like I remember I mean that was we were I was I was a kid it wasn't that long ago not that old like Speedy Gonzalez and then his cousin's name was Slowpoke Rodriguez who was clearly smoking pot the whole time yeah he was clearly high all the time and I was like those two stereotypes Ay, ay, ay is actually like a phrase. It's actually a term that people say and mean something. And it has become this like racist phrase in my brain because I remember a cartoon when I was yeah. a kid. Yeah, we have a little, yeah, we have that. Dios mio is another one, but not as much as ay, ay, ay. But we did now remember it's, it's uh, we say dunda or dundo, which means like you just made like a stupid mistake. Like you did something dumb. Oh, I like that like dumb donda and then I don't, I don't know where the other one came from but yes we mashed those up that means kind of like so it's so it's not a real word it's not a real word oh, at i all. love that dunda <laughs> sounds like it sounds and like so it would be a real word we say that a lot we say that a lot and when we can't curse and the kids are around and now they've picked it up and they're <laughs> like oh you're dundo or they now it's a curse word now it's a swear word so I just to kind of close out because it you definitely are standing in two cultures Mm -hmm. and can you talk a little bit about the things that are that you love about both cultures that you can see kind of in your kids coming together and some of the things that you really want to make sure that you don't instill in them from the two cultures yeah or three if you want to talk about you know being italian too the three yeah i think i think the three word i would want to try and stay away from is like for for both of us like the anxiety that our parents had being here as immigrants right and like how that crossed over into us I think that's what I would want. That's what I'm trying to filter out from my kids. Like, we don't need to be anxious or feel anxious about every little thing, right? Like, we're okay. We're established. We're here. Um, we're not going to get kicked out of this country. Like, you know, we're good. Um, and then really just embracing, like, all the good things from all the cultures, right? Like, for example, like, we didn't, um, you know, uh, growing up like in, in a Mexican household, like we didn't celebrate Halloween. We didn't do Thanksgiving. So, um, so that's been really nice to incorporate with like the boys and, um, and then to see how David's family gets together for that. So that's really nice. Um, yeah, just, you know, taking the best of it all and just blending it in. Um, that's really what we've been trying to do and what we're consciously working on is not putting our own fears and anxieties into our parenting with the boys as it pertains to that. And I think being okay that 
if they grow up and they don't want to speak Spanish and they don't want to be speak Italian, like that's okay. Right. Like it would be nice, but you know, I think like, that's all right. Well, I know. I think a lot of it is like they, you know, we, we've talked before about a lot of people have this like 13 year old level of speaking and then they wish that they could go back and learn it as a kid. Right. Right. Because like, I, I don't even have a 13. I, I can, I can understand all of Gujarati, but we've heard from a lot of our guests this, like I spoke Polish or Dutch or whatever up until I was like 12 or 13. And then I was like, no, I want to be American and stopped. And now as an, as an adult trying to revisit that. And so, you know, wouldn't be surprised if like your kids did the same thing because that's a normal way of being a person <laughs> and right. being a kid and pushing back. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my friends that are Mexican that I, you know, I, uh, my good friend, like she does not know Spanish at all, but that's because, you know, her parents were here, like we're here now, you have to learn English and that's it. Again, some, another guest of ours is like, uh, I'm so nervous. I don't, I'm ner- I don't like talking about myself and I'm nervous about being interesting. And I'm like, every single person is interesting when they talk about themselves because your story yeah. is interesting. Well, I like, I like that everybody has a story. So that's really cool. And I mean, your story is fascinating. And I think that it's shared by so many people. And honestly, I'm like, I really want to talk more about like the current climate. So of like Mexicans and what they're going through since let's say what, 2016 is, but I mean, and before, but a lot of anxiety, a lot of, uh, like, you know, more domestic violence, um, a lot of, uh, poverty. I, I work a lot with uh, a couple of charities to help, uh, feed families, just put food on their plates. Um, so, um, you know, it's been a really rough time and, um, and I can say that, what I experience is not pleasant all the time, but I have the tools to fight back and speak up and these people don't. And so, you know, I feel like, well, if I can do it, let me just go ahead and do it for you too. So, um, you know, my way of, of helping and giving back is, um, simple, but just, you know, like working with these charities that help feed all of these families around the area, you know, connecting with a mom that doesn't know that the kindergarten registration was last week, you know, um, stuff like that. Um, but yes, it's, it's, a it's, it's a rough time right now. It's been bad. Um, a lot of people going back to Mexico, um, and fleeing, you know, going back because they think like, well, this is it. Like, our time is up here. So let's, let's try to make the best of it there. And the situation there is not any better. I mean, it's worse almost. So, um, yeah, a lot of struggle. So, well, there's a pretty strong, um, privilege line in Mexico, right? Like it's not gradations. It's like either it's a have or have not. It's a have and have not. There's a ton of Option. Um, I, I, I have family that are well off there and they're privileged enough to like, you know, have good jobs and, and good homes and stuff. But e- even so, it's still a struggle, right? Because they're, con- they're just constantly fighting the, the corruption. And Yeah, it's, a, it's almost like you have to budget 
to pay people off at times, you know, and I know that there were experiences when we would travel back to India that I remember my parents offering, you know, basically a bribe under the table, not because anything was wrong necessarily, but as we're coming in, people are like, oh, these people are from the States. Let's, let's hold them until they pony up. Right. Absolutely. Like we, that we've experienced that going to Mexico. Um, my aunt and my uncle are both, uh, you know, she's a judge and he's a lawyer there. And so I, one time we were um, going to a little town outside of their, their home and we got stopped and the police tried to, you know, shake us down. And as soon as they showed their badges, they were like, oh, we're so sorry. Like, oh, we had no idea it's you and, you know, whatever. But it's like. Yeah, it's not the idea that they shouldn't do that. Right. But they shouldn't do that to specific people. Right. Like, oh, we had no idea. Okay, you know. Um, go, ahead. go ahead. But I mean, that's just, we just, you know, that's just because of who we were. But if we were sure. not with them, then yeah, we'd have to pay up. Well, and the idea that like people here are like, oh yeah, I've been to Mexico. Oh yeah, where? They're like Cancun, Cozumel. Like, no, no, no. You know, I mean, right. I we have the same thing as like, you know, when you go to India and you go, oh, I stayed, you know, not a lot of people have been to India as opposed to like going to Cancun, but it's right. like, oh, we stayed at this really nice hotel, like right by the Taj Mahal. And you're like, that's not India, right? right? Like that's, that is a very small sliver of it. And they're putting on their best, sure. they're putting their best foot forward for tourists. And that's like the same thing, like Mexico is not beaches and margaritas and, and, you know, and those right. resorts, those all-inclusive resorts from Cancun, like you have not seen Mexico. No, and, and you know, it's funny that you say that because to this day, like David has not been to like Mexico City with me and we haven't seen the boys yet because there is that fear that I'm bringing my white family to Mexico, like what's gonna happen, so yeah. I mean, we, we went to India with our husbands and mm-hmm. uh, Shlushi's husband, it was the second time he was there, but my husband is also like, he's 6'1", and he's got this like big curly hair, sideburns. He was a walking white target for everybody. They would just triangulate like velociraptors and like separate him from the herd because to your point- And no one had- him a target. um, Dangerous intentions, but I think when you stick out, people know that they can, they can get something from you, whether it's, you know, just panhandling and asking for money. And if, you know, if you're persistent enough, someone will give you a couple of coins. The other thing being, oh, that person's American or European, and they probably have, you know, European or American money on them. And that converts over in a way that you know, if I throw a couple of rupees or a couple of, you know, 10 cent piece or whatever down, people are like, I don't want this money. I want, I want your American money. And in fact, that happened to us at a, um, as we were, you know, sort of doing a little touring once where I had some rupees on me and I handed it to someone and they're like, no, I want dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Cause $1 equals 50 rupees. So, and they can tell, but on the flip side, that was probably the first time that Justin and Brian yeah. understood what it felt like to be othered and not to fit in. 
right? Because like, yeah, well, this is what it feels like to be one brown person walking in a sea, uh, you know, in a high school full of white people. You've got, you know, 300 or 3,000 white people. This is what it feels like. There's not that many people that look like you. Yeah. Yeah. And you stick out even if no one's doing anything. But you can't help it, right? Like, I can't help not blending in. So I want to be really respectful of your time. I truly, truly appreciate you coming onto this podcast um, and, and sharing your experience with, experiences with us, both as a child, but also as raising your own kids now and the challenges that you are trying to navigate. So thank you so much. This is fun. Plus, it's time away from my kids. So thank you. This is like the most and so just, just to be sure, the older one is Marco and the younger Marco, one is Diego. Right. My favorite and Diego. <laughs> oh, your favorite is Coco. Your favorite is Coco. It is Coco. Okay, she it's is like, it's a cat or a dog. But but dogs are like toddlers, so I'm guessing it wasn't a dog then. Right. Wait, no, Coco, did Coco come before Marco? Yeah, she came before all the kids. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's like yeah. the baby, right? Well, again, thank you so much. Yes, yeah. uh, we appreciate your time and your just vulnerability and your storytelling. Thank and you. your kids, your school's lucky to have you and your perspective. Thank you. Thank you. And thank don't you. call your. You're not being. You're not being bitchy. What uh, what Anushka said or what Batsy says is um, she learned it from a show. It was Doc McStuffins, I think. I'm not bossy. I'm just the boss. Yep. So that's, I think, uh, what you got to go in there with, right? Like, I'm not being bossy. I'm the boss. You yeah. start wearing shirts that say, I am someone. Like, that's, I want to talk to someone. I'm someone. Oh, I know. I feel like, thank you for putting this together because I feel like, yes, I am speaking. <laughs> like, Woohoo! We did our job. Yay! Yeah. You are speaking and you're well, the boss. Well, you are welcome to tell your family that we ran over by hours. If you would like to just sit in your office quietly. <laughs> I, they had technical problems. It, it was, we didn't even start till 530. I'll text David right now. Be like, we just realized that the recording was not working. So we have to start from the beginning. I, I have to go make sure that the, the nanny survived. Hi, darling. Happy Mother's Day. Yes. Happy, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you. Happy Mother's Day to you.